This is the New Zealand Young Professionals Podcast, brought to you by Podcasts New Zealand. Now please welcome your host, Ed McKnight. Hello and welcome along to the New Zealand Young Professionals Podcast. I am your host, Ed McKnight, and today in the studio with, we're with Craig McAlpine from MyCareerBrand.net. Craig, how are you doing today? Thanks very much, Ed. Doing really well. Oh, fantastic. You know, Craig, I was actually listening on the radio the other day on News Talk ZB. Don't ask me why I was on it. And, um, and I heard you come onto the radio talking about the aging workforce and what people can do, uh, to create a job search strategy and really excel in their careers. And so I thought, look, let's get you along and, uh, talk to the young professionals audience about job search strategy. Yeah, sure. Yep. Great idea. But the interesting thing that you were talking about, just to give some context to the people at home, was that uh, I believe there was a woman down in Wanganui who had applied for a whole heap of jobs, but she she was about 51, I think. She was actually still quite young. Was mm-hmm. that, were those the details? Yeah, I think she was uh, probably closer to 60-something. But um, the reality is that her position wasn't really too dissimilar uh, for a lot of younger people as well. Um, I would have challenged her around her job search strategy, how she was going about uh, applying for roles, um, as as much as I would for the younger person, perhaps coming out of university or even, uh, well, post-grad, but maybe three, four years into their role as well. That's so right, because so many young professionals are coming out of university and they're, they're looking to get their first job or perhaps they're already in a job and looking to take the next step in their careers, but perhaps aren't sure what the next step actually is. Yeah, and the reality is too, a lot of them, as you said, are looking to get their first job. They start looking, you know, like just before they graduate or just when they're coming out of that university tenure. Whereas what they should be doing is thinking about that even before they get to university. So building up their networks, making sure that connecting with the influencers and decision makers, making sure that they're doing the right things at university and so on. They're not taking a particularly strategic approach uh, to their job search um, during the university years or tertiary education. It's very reactive. Okay. So even if, say I want a job at KPMG or Deloitte, I should be thinking about who to contact and who I should be uh, networking with before I even get to university? Absolutely. So do you know what it's like to actually work in KPMG, a professional services organisation which is global, let alone a professional uh, services organisation which may be just local? So what does a large organisation like that offer you? Um, What is it going to do in terms of developing your career, recognising that as a younger job seeker today, you're not necessarily going to have a longer term tenure within that organisation, but you're always going to be looking for that organisation that you're joining to set yourself up to move forward. Interesting. Now, I can, I can, if I can politely challenge you on that, I, I can definitely see the value in knowing what, say you want to go to KPMG or Deloitte, um, in terms of making sure you're picking the right degree or whatever. But what we often see is that young professionals, maybe they're at the end of their first year, they then stop whatever degree they were doing and then move on to something else. So mm. what should they do in that case when you, when perhaps you, you're about to jump into university but you don't really know where you want to work or, or what career you want? Yeah, and I think that it's a really um, broad question and quite a, 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 um, an interesting one in that, look, there's a whole raft of issues that may have arisen in that in terms of you making that decision. And it could be that you haven't necessarily uh, passed... Uh, with the right results 
to advance you past that first um, year. It could be that uh, through uh, conversations and so on, and I bring this back again, maybe you've started your conversations too late and you've realised that. The other, the other interesting thing is I heard a, um, uh, some information that came back from one of the universities that they only have a, I think it was a 52% completion rate. Um, now, their answer to that was, well, actually, that's because we've got a lot of part-timers, but the reality is if that's all they're getting, a 52% completion rate, you know, that needs, there's some serious questions need to be asked um, about that. What is happening to those people after that? You know, when they don't finish that, are they moving on to something else and still only getting a 52% completion rate? So what are we doing? But I think to answer your question, um, I think it really comes back to uh, asking the right questions before you do it. But you know, also um, maybe keep on asking the questions. Look, there's no harm in changing. Change is a constant. It's becoming more and more frequent. Um, but we've got to be doing the, making the change for the right reason and not taking the soft options. University's hard. You think some other courses or whatever might be easier. You know, look again. Um, but yeah, just ask the right questions. And I guess the other thing to your point is that perhaps if you start networking with the right people before you commit to a three or four year degree, then you might find out whether it is the right career path that you want to go down. So exploring it a little bit in advance, finding out what is it like to work for a professional services firm before you, you do go and commit to that four-year degree, which perhaps is resulting in these low completion rates that you've just talked about. Yeah, but also what about talking with um, universe, other university students who have mm-hmm. been there for a year, two, three years, talking to them and find out what it was like. Get amongst the university. Um, don't just be sold into a course by the university, you know, with um, their fancy marketing, marketing material and so on. Um, um, or, if you like, um, what I would call um, the snobbery of universities. You know, it's like, don't just attend the University of Auckland or AUT or Otago or Canterbury or Waikato for the sake of attending a university because your friends are there. You know, just recently I had an example of um, a guy calling me about his son who had attended two years of university because his friends were at university failing both years. You know, so he'd returned for the second year, having failed the first year, and was failing the second year as well, just because his friends were there. So make sure that you're actually attending universities for the right reason. And as I was mentioning to you earlier, uh, Ed, around Gen Z and um, how now a significant number of Gen Z, which is sort of like, um, you know, those 18 to 24-year-olds, are making conscious decisions now not to attend university, but to go straight out and start up their own businesses. And there's been numerous examples around that now. Some would say, oh, you need a degree, you know, well, what for? And I think a lot of um, younger people now, uh, particularly Gen Z, are coming out and saying, well, hang on, where's the value proposition? Where is this actually going to take me? And they are looking at their career or where they want to be. So, yeah, I think just think really carefully. Yeah, definitely. And let me let me put you on the spot then. If you were 17 or 18 now, coming out of high school and uh, and weighing up your options, you know, what what, what would you be doing? backing myself a lot more yeah uh, being braver um, asking more people more questions uh, I think I was um, I was 
quite tenacious coming out of school. I can remember I was going to be an architect um, and I got myself a job, um, well, potentially going to be a job with uh, one of New Zealand's leading architects. Unfortunately, the, yes, we had a recession way back then. Um, but And so that job fell through. But I got a job in there and one of his comments was, I can't believe the guy's tenacity. And he said to my parents, so be tenacious. Get in there. You know, whatever it is, just go for it. Um, but back yourself. And that's I think that's really what I should have done more of. Okay, interesting. And uh, when when people are, start, are starting to get into it, you've mentioned that we should be asking lots of questions to figure out what we want and and what sort of organisations we should go for and whether or not we should go to university. What's I mean, this is a big broad question, but what sort of questions should we be asking? Do you think? Yeah, I think it, well, clearly it depends on the organisation you're joining. Um, and it depends on your own context as well. So everyone's context is different um, as to how far they want to advance. You know, we don't all need to be you know, leaders in terms of CEO of an organisation or chief whatever of an organisation. We Really what I think we should be asking uh, is, can we be happy? You know, um, life's more fulfilling or important than, you know, the eight to nine hours that we're going to be um, spending in the office or whatever. However, I think the questions that we should be asking should be founded around that. So understand what makes you happy. Understand what your drivers and motivators are. Don't necessarily be influenced, you know, around the fact that your uncle, auntie, parents, whatever, are doctors or lawyers or whatever. Be happy. Ask the questions that are going to be able to provide you with the answers to what you need to know. Um, Get some career advice. You know, go out there, start talking to people. Um, Think about the questions that they're not answering um, that could be answered by somebody in an organisation. So, for example, okay, how many hours a week do you work? Okay, what does your typical day look like? Tell me about something that you would do differently. So so one of your um, questions to me was, what would you have done differently, you know, when you were 17? Well, ask the people in the organisation like that too. Ask them what they would have done before they joined the organisation. If they could have changed something in the way that they worked within the organisation, what would have it been? What is their uh, direction for the next five years? So there's a number of questions you can ask, but it's about talking to people in organisations and just being just constantly exploring and challenging. Mm. And I guess the, the thing is that work and, and, and our careers take up such a large proportion of our lives and days that you've got, if you're going to be happy and fulfilled in all these things we all want to be, then you've got to ask yourselves these, these are really quite big, big life questions. And, um, and although you may not have all the answers when you're 17 or 18, you've got to at least start asking them so that you can have some sort of, some, sort of frame of reference when you make these decisions mm. and then you'll gradually refine what your answers are to these big life questions around well what do you want to do what how many hours do you want to work what impact do you want to have you know looking back at 65 what do you want to have achieved mm. you know because mm. no gosh i'm not i'd be there are 64 year olds who don't have answers to those those types of questions about what they want to have achieved at 65 um but at least we have to start having some frame of reference so we can make big life decisions yeah we absolutely do and as i, I often refer to my mother's own career where you know, she started uh, with her own business at the age of 16. Um, and then she didn't retire till the age of 23. Uh, sorry, 70, 23, 73. <laughs> 23 sounds Gee, 23 great. 23 is young. I, yeah, I would have liked that too. 73. Um, but when she was introdu- in, in, interviewed by a journalist, the journalist said, tell me about your job. And my mum said to the journalist, you know what? I've never had a job in my life. I've never been to work a day in my life. 
and it was because it was her passion. But she was always questioning. She she was always able to push the limits as well. So you know, being innovative, being creative, um, getting out there, challenging yourself, and actually not taking no for an answer as well. So there were many times that accountants said to her, "Oh no, Dawn, I don't think I'd do that." Oh no, but she went ahead and did it, and she did very well. But she planned. Okay, she asked the right questions. Those accountants were just merely in her shopping list or shopping basket of people that she could ask questions of. Interesting. Out of interest, what did uh, what did, what was Dawn's business? Well, she was uh, uh, she started off with a dance, b- ballet school. Okay, oh, yeah. and then she opened that in Auckland, and then she opened up a big school down in, in New Plymouth. But then she finished up travelling the world. She was New Zealand's first. Um, advanced teacher with honours and she was uh, New Zealand's first um, I think it was major grade examiner or major, major examiner for the Royal Academy of Dance and that qualif- she went all the way over to London for that on her own, it was the first um, trip over, over to London uh, so um, yeah she was just very adventurous I think um, so yeah she, she was very successful um, with, with her businesses, she opened up several other businesses as well that weren't related to um, dance or, or ballet um, which were very successful as well so yeah, she was. She was. Uh, I think she got a lot of that off her mother, though. Um, so, which is uh, interesting. And she was. She her own mother had her own business. So, you know, in those days, I mean, that was that was quite exceptional. Yeah, I was going to say that. So that would have been incredibly progressive. I mean, especially oh, for, uh, for your grandmother, because I mean, she would have been operating her business in what sort of years? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, way back in the fifties, sort of thing. So, you know, even even earlier. Um, so, you know, she, yeah, very much um, progressive. Um, but, you know, maybe, you know, and this is the thing, we talk about having all of these various, you know, we, we, we tend to compartmentalise people into Gen Y or Gen Z or baby boomers or something. But if we look back, the same questions just in different contexts were being asked. Um, you know, the same challenges were there. It's about being brave. It's about getting out there. It's about asking questions, you know, backing yourself, you know, not taking no for an answer, you know, finding the right space um, for yourself and getting in there and um, just doing it, basically. You know, don't, don't get to 65 and look back and say, well, what if? You know, um, don't get to 40 even, you know, and look back and say, you know, if I'd done this at the age of 23 or something, you know, where would I have been? Uh, so yeah, just have the confidence to back yourself. Yeah, I can imagine that some of the questions that might have been asked by accountants or professionals or whoever of of your mother and grandmother, and some of the the challenges they might have faced as as uh, since fewer women were owning businesses back then, mm. you'd probably see those same questions being asked of other minorities who perhaps aren't accepted these days. Oh, absolutely, yeah. So and that's why I say, um, you know, I don't think a heck of a lot's changed. Uh, one of my managers years ago said to me, you know what, Craig, the more things change, the more they stay the same. And the pendulum swings, and it'll swing back the other way, and, it'll, and eventually it'll find itself into the centre. Yeah, so, you know, don't get hung up um, by all of these little wee compartmentalised boxes that we tend to put ourselves in. Um, find your own space. Um, and get at that and do something with it. And I guess the other thing that's important as well, uh, you, you were talking just before about uh, Generation Z being more socially conscious. I think mm. a, a, an important part... Um 
within organizations these days is to know one's own biases as well. Um, I, I was the, the other day when we were catching up for, for tea in preparation for this episode, I was telling you about how um, I found myself ju- judging a potential employee um, that this person um, I'd talked to on the phone and we were looking to looking to contract them for some work. And I'll tell the story now. Um, where I had this great chat with this guy on the phone and I thought this guy is exactly the type of person we need you know this, this guy is so smart I can't believe he even wants to wants to work with us and so we drove down to uh, a, small, a smaller town uh, down in Taupo and um, found uh, waiting at the cafe for this guy to turn up um, and it turned out he was blind and I was like oh okay that that'll be the reason why he's not doing this work perhaps on his own and is looking to join an organisation and I walked away from that meeting and I thought you know what if I had have met, if that was the first interview, perhaps I would have judged that guy. I felt so guilty and, and caught out um, within my own biases that, you know, perhaps I would have judged him. In fact, I know I would have judged him and feeling really guilty about that. But then feeling very grateful for the experience of walking walking away, a having being challenged um, by on those biases, um, but but also feeling really grateful that we've got this really great guy now working for us. Um, and and that I, I expect that he would forgive me if he if he heard this. Um, but feeling really guilty about that and feeling grateful that he didn't realise that that I was the one who who was judging. I guess. Yeah, I think it's really important that you share that story a lot. I've I, and actually um, since you told me that, I have um, referred to that. Not not mentioning your name or anything, but I've referred to those biases, and I'm starting to become a bit wary around this use of conscious bias and unconscious bias. Because to me, there's a lot of conscious bias out there. You know, there's conscious bias around hiring, you know, younger people. Oh, no, because they won't be told and all of this sort of thing. There's conscious bias around hiring, you know, older people, you know, 60, you know, maybe 65, 55, whatever, because you don't, you know, oh, they might have health issues or, oh, they might not be around for long. This is just a fill-in until they retire. You know, um, neither of those arguments are actually true. They're not true at all. And I think, you know, that to me is not unconscious bias. That's conscious bias. You make a conscious decision not to interview somebody because you see their age or so on on their CV or you see their name and you've got a bias around ethnicity, for example, or gender um, or sexual orientation, whatever it happens to be. They are conscious biases. And so I think the whole unconscious bias thing is an excuse and I don't, I don't like it, but I think you actually pulling yourself up on that and questioning and challenging yourself um, is great. And I think you getting that out there into the public domain is even more important because I would like people to actually challenge themselves around the last time they looked at a CV and, and made the judgment, you know, based on that CV. Uh, so many CVs, for example, aren't put together. You know, appropriately, and I remember listening to one of your podcasts around that. You know about the CV, you know how you have to um, uh, uh, change the CV, adapt the CV, and so on, which is all true. There's a lot deeper, um, you know, or further to go with that as well. Um, but at the same time, it's not everybody is able to do that or does do that. You know, so hiring decisions or interviewing decisions are made on that one piece of paper. You know, um, you know, so I think we've just got to be careful around this whole bias thing, the recruitment thing, the, the, the screening thing. To your point, you know, if I'd known that person was blind, would have I have actually even bothered interviewing them? You know, or would have I, subconsciously, whatever, have, have pushed that person aside? So, yeah, it's, it's a minefield out there. 
Yeah, and then you, I think once you start to realize the biases you have, um, you feel really guilty about them because, because you, you kind of realize that that's, that's not the person I think most of us want to grow up to be, you know, in terms of, in terms of even unconsciously. Sorry, oh, I just used that word, you know, but, um, yeah, look, it's, yeah, it's it out there all the time, Ed. It's, it's, you know, it's like you have people in your organization that you wheel out. Um, you know, there was some, uh, survey results done well, a few years ago now where you know um, male six foot dark haired you know good looking male will do a lot better in sales and actually um, secure jobs more readily than somebody who's say five foot seven um, fair haired you know whatever freckled face whatever um, and it's yeah so there was that bias and people were actually doing um, surveys around that um, or research um, so there, look, there are a whole raft of biases out there, um, and it's not age specific uh, necessarily. It could be, it could be, but it, it, it could be a whole raft of things. You know, as I mentioned before, um, gender, you know, uh, ethnicity, whatever. They, they're all challenges that we have to face. Um, hopefully, with the diversity now that we're seeing, particularly if I look at New Zealand culture, we are becoming this amazing country, you know, of diverse ethnicity, cultures, and so on, which I hope, you know, in a generation or two will actually mean that, you know, none of this, what we're seeing today, actually exists anymore. You know, those biases. We are just one people, um, and we have different skills. And again, I don't know what we're going to call the beyond Gen Z and so on, and beyond that again and beyond that again. But I can guarantee you, in 20, 40 years' time, you know, the Gen Zs will be talking about the Gen whatevers, and the Gen whatevers will be talking about the Gen Zs. You know, so it's, you know, we'll always be evolving. Um, I think the real secret is how do we as job seekers take a much more strategic approach to be able to bypass or get through that, those barriers or that minefield um, of biases that we have today. And that's a good way to pick it up because we've uh, we've talked so far about well a lot of things actually mm. in the last twenty minutes. Mm. Um, but but starting with when you're just either entering or coming out of university and some of the actions we should potentially take. Another pl- th- place that I see that um, young professionals can do a bit of help with is when stepping up from uh, an individual contributor kind of role where they're being managed and they've got no direct reports or indirect reports and then moving on to uh, when they're stepping up to become a manager and step into a manager role. Because mm-hmm. I always feel that people tend to be promoted because they're great at their individual contributor role, but not necessarily because they're great managers. Yeah. Yeah, really true um, and it's not just the younger people it's um, all the way through um, professional services uh, is notorious for this legal firms engineering firms you know uh, architectural firms whatever uh, those individuals are very very good at what they do you know I've got a friend of mine who uh, was a corporate lawyer uh, and I remember having a conversation with that person when they were first going to be made partner of a large legal firm. And I said to them, you realise that being a partner is about sales. It's about being a rainmaker. You know, oh, no, 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 it's all going to be fine. Well, that person really struggled. 
you know, so yeah, do organisations, and look, this is a really good question you talked about before about what questions should I ask, um, development, learning and development, are they going to support your growth in the organisation? Uh, yep, coming back to what I said before too about tenure, you know, you might be only there for two years, you could be moving on to another organisation, at each of those steps, how are you going to be set up for success? Are you going to be managed, to use what you said before, you know, managed, or are you going to be led? You know, so the difference between a manager and a leader. Are you, as a person, able to step into a leadership role? You may have been managing more junior people before, which are maybe less uh, challenging and so on and less complex uh, to manage, but can you actually lead, you know, an organisation? There's quite a difference there. Yeah, I can imagine. So, hey, the other thing that are questions that um, I feel that, always need to be asked is getting clear on you'll always within a job or a job interview stage get clear on what you will be doing but I think it's always important to get clear on what you won't be doing as well and setting those expectations down because with your law firm mm. example mm. Um, I can imagine that, that just just from the few facts that you've said this person might not have been comfortable with that kind of sales role and but that might have been a, a tacit expectation or a silent expectation that the other partners had, that this person would be going out and, and selling and bringing in more work. And you've got to have the conversation of, well, I, what, cool, this is what I will be doing. This is what's on the job description. But let's be clear about, well, I wouldn't be comfortable doing X, Y, Z, and I wouldn't be comfortable with alpha, alpha, beta, gamma, or whatever it is, yeah. Yeah. and getting clear on what it is and what it isn't. I think you're absolutely right. Um, I was talking, uh, friends of ours have got a, uh, a 16-year-old son. And we were having a conversation at the dinner table and he said, uh, well, that's not what I want to do. And everybody just looked at him and like, what? Because we're all people that sort of like, well, you know, you have to do stuff. You know, there is stuff that you have to do to have an attitude of, well, that's not what I want to do sort of thing. And we were sort of, okay. So we were challenging that on uh, all night. But then I was uh, working uh, with uh, a really senior manager in a very large organization uh, on coaching. And I just happened to relate about this conversation we had with this 16-year-old. And this leader in the organisation, uh, chief of level, um, said to me, you know what, I really like that because at least I know what I've got to work with. You know, I know what that guy doesn't want to do. But I'll be asking what he wants to do as well, but I, I, at least I know what he doesn't want to do. You know, so I'm going to get the best out of him. Now, he finished up interviewing that guy. He got, I sent this guy along to be interviewed by him. He said, I want to see him. Because I told him about uh, some of the work he'd been doing. And um, he said, you know, I want to see this guy. Now, this young guy has actually got a job in that organisation now. Um, so part-time job. Uh, but he's got a job through it. But it being very clear about what you do, don't want to do. Really good point, Ed. Yeah, and even um, we, when we've been uh, internally in my organisation uh, talking about how we manage staff and things like that, I've been a big pro- proponent, and I'd love to tell me if this is good or not because I've just made it up, and I'd love to get an opinion on this. Um, that we should be asking kind of the hard questions that we know our employees are thinking. So employees are always thinking about remuneration mm. and um, and whether they're being paid appropriately. And so one of the big questions that I want us to continually ask now is: Do you feel comfortable with your level of remuneration for the value you're bringing to the firm 
And in which case, you can always break, then it opens it up into a comfortable conversation where the employee doesn't have to have to try and bring it up and raise it because you've already raised it. Um, and then you're aligning both the, the level of remuneration with the value that's, that's being brought in. Because I would hate to have an employee who thought that we were unfairly paying them for the value they bring in. But similarly, if, a, if an employee wants a pay rise but without considering the value to the firm, then it's very unlikely to happen. So we can continually bring it back to that conversation. Yeah, I think it's a really brave question to be asking. Oh, it is uh, a bloody scary question to ask. It is, that. because you know, you, know you, you could be opening a can of worms there, but really what you're doing is you're creating a whole lot of transparency as well, and it's more of a partnership approach to you know how we can make this work. So if the person needs to earn more, okay, then we'll feel that they're worth more, then open the books. You know, say, well, look, this is what the co- this is the, these are the company's um, financial around this particular business unit. Help me to help you as to mm-hmm. how we can afford to pay you more. Don't just ask for more. Help us to actually understand why you think you should be paid more and come to us with solutions. Don't just come to us with a problem. So have that open conversation. Now, I'm not talking about some of the more confidential financials and so on like that, like your, your loans or whatever it is and overdrafts and goodness knows what else. It's, it's the commercial you know, arrangements around that. And um, I think for people to, you know, have that greater understanding, and we've been talking about financial, you know, literacy for a few years now in New Zealand being quite poor. And we need to be thinking about, well, how can we actually develop financial literacy? And one of the things we can do is actually be having more conversations about it. So, well, look, we'd love to pay you more. The, this is how we operate. You know, this is what we have to charge our clients. This is the overheads that we actually have in this organisation. How do you think we can actually afford to pay you more? Mm. You know, and having that honest conversation, rather than you know a surprise uh, visit from them on Monday morning, say, hey, I've got a job offer down the line for you know a dollar more an hour or whatever it happens to be. You know, so yeah, I think it's, I think it's a good good question to be asking. Yeah, and I think all of these for, for us, it's now been getting into the stage of well, what is what do we already know they're thinking about? You know, and mm. it could be hours, or it could be remuneration, or it could be it could be changing changing title. But getting all the things out that you know are, are kind of sticking points that I think some employers probably tend to avoid, and yeah. just getting it on the table. Are you comfortable with the level of manage uh, or management or leadership that you're receiving yeah all, you of, all of those questions and don't just leave it to review time mm. you know uh, every six months you know have those conversations when and need they when and when and if they need to happen but I don't think we're actually doing you know a lot you know at tertiary level or even secondary school level um, to educate people around how they go about asking those questions and feeling comfortable you know with those questions uh, you know we're going to get hit over the head by recruitment consultants here but I, I think I have a reasonable degree of license because I did recruitment um, a, a number of years ago now. One of the questions that they ask is, how much are you being paid in your current role? That's got nothing to do with the role that you're applying for. The current role remuneration is based on the organisation's ability to pay, their customers' ability to pay, of course, you know, the financials around that organisation, how well financed they are, you know, how much debt they have, you know, um, how good they are at actually keeping their margins up and so on. 
how well they can afford to pay you will actually differ within sectors, um, within businesses within those sectors and so on. So I think it's a pretty lazy question when recruiters say, you know, oh, what are you being paid now? Because immediately they're going to pigeonhole you. Oh, we'll give them 10% more. I've worked with people in the past when I've been coaching them who have gone, you know, their, their salaries have actually increased by uh, probably, well, in, in one instance I can see it was uh, around about 150%. On that, and we're talking about big money as well. That's now, some that's serious a, money. Well, it is. And then five years later, their salary was approximately four hundred percent higher, basically because of the approach that they'd taken to market, understanding what their value proposition was, having the right conversations, and bringing them into the context of the organisation that they were uh, exploring in terms of joining and so on. So, yeah, I think that whole financial literacy um, thing is really important, not just understanding, you know, one plus one equals two and so on and, and division and multiplication and stuff, that, uh, you know, the, the basics. It's how do you have a conversation about financials? The more we do that, the more likely we are to be, be comfortable with it, the more likely we are to not be having the sorts of conversations that have been in the media recently around government, you know, IRD uh, workers walking off and so on and um, nurse you know, walking off, you know, so I think uh, uh, transparency is, is, um, is great. Let me ask you this. How would you answer that recruitment question? If, so, if somebody, I know, I realize that you run your own business, so you're not looking for a job, but say, say you were, um, you were going out and talking to recruiters, attempting to find a position and somebody asks you that question, what's the best way to answer it? Mm. I would say my current role pays me in accordance with the organization's ability to pay. What I am seeking in my next role is X, Y, Z. Yeah, just go straight past it. Do the politician's answer, the lawyer's answer, whatever. It's like, you know, that's got nothing to do with it. Mm. Okay, so and then I'd follow it up with a question that, okay, so we're going through an interview process here. Based on the questions you've asked me and my ability to answer and the way I've positioned myself, where do you think I sit in the market? Put it back in the recruiter's lap. They're meant to know all these things. You know, they're meant to understand remuneration. If they're a smart recruiter and they do know the market, they would say exactly what I said before. Well, look, it really does depend on the organisation we get you in front of. You know, professional services are going to pay quite differently to not-for-profit or government sector or so on. Um, so I think really what they need to be doing, the recruiters need to be doing, is having smarter questions um, with their their candidates, uh, smarter conversations. But they also, in, in terms of um, asking the right questions and answering them, the candidates themselves need to be prepared. Mm. Okay, so look, if you haven't actually... Um, you know, uh, got the confidence with interviewing and so on or facing up to recruiters, do some practice, you know, get out there, get some coaching. You know, you've got a whole career, hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not millions of dollars over your career that are at stake purely through having the right or the wrong conversation uh, with both hiring managers and recruiters. Mm, it's so important that, that that little question, those two minutes, you know, can it can affect so much. I was just um, speaking with a person, I think it was last week, and they'd had that exact question from a recruiter, and um, they'd, they'd told the recruiter what they got paid, uh, and then the first offer back from the organisation that had made an offer was exactly what they're currently on. 
you know, which was totally different from what they had expressed um, was the figure that they wanted. And Josh so it's Lincoln. almost used as this kind of negotiating point, which, as you've mentioned, is, is based on the current organisation's ability to pay and not necessarily on what they'd be expecting from this new employer mm. based on the work that they'll now be doing, which was different. Yeah, go figure. I mean, you know, if you tell them what you're earning now, you're setting the context. You know, and the, the offer that they came back with was because that they knew that the person then would go back with 10% more. They're going to end up paying them 10% more. So it's like, you know, you come to me and you may, I've already told you that I'm earning, I don't know, 75000 or something a year, 85000 uh, They're going to come back to me with 85000 you know, and I, they know that I'm going to go back to them with 92500 10% more. You know, so, you know, when you be specific, say to them, hey, it's got to have a one in front of it, or I'm looking for, you know, the high ones. You know, do your research, though. Look at the market. You know, we talked earlier about strategic job search as opposed to reactive job search. Strategic job search is about uh, job search is about doing research, making sure you understand the market, being able to have the answers. So when a recruiter comes back to you and tells you X, you can't just go to them and say, oh, but I want Y. You know, you go back to them and say, well, look, based on my own research, I'm seeing in this particular sector these salaries. In fact, here's my supporting evidence. So, you know, don't let the recruiter talk you down just so they can get a deal across the line or any hiring manager for that matter. As I said earlier, back yourself, but be realistic. Okay, and what you're looking for. But look at the bigger picture too. What's the learning and development opportunities there? What are the career opportunities that you have in terms of advancing, you know, your learnings, your skills? Are you going to be able to get rungs on the ladder? Is this a BAU position, business as usual, just a holding pattern role? You know, can you actually have the opportunity to advance your career through getting rungs on the ladder and being able to demonstrate that, demonstrate that to your next employer as well? Let me ask you this. Uh, how do you figure out what an organisation might be willing to pay? I mean, how would you go out and find that data? Are there any specific sources we could go out to? Because I wouldn't actually have the faintest clue, apart from my good friend Google.co.nz, about where I'd start finding that data. Yep. So, look, a number of organisations actually run um, uh, surveys and so on. So, seek, uh, do surveys. Um, you know, a number of the job boards um, all do. I think uh, just if you can use your own network as well, mm-hmm. um, you know, talking to people like myself, um, asking them, uh, you know, I'll ask all sorts of questions about, um, you know, what they've done, what they've delivered, uh, what their value proposition is, um, and so on. Um, and I generally find I'm pretty close because I work a lot with different people. Um, and know you know what they earn. I'm pretty close to un- knowing what they're going to get in the market. So talking to people, not you know who who, who recruiters generally should have a good idea, um, and that's why I think try and get that uh, question in first before they ask you the what are you what are you um, currently being paid. 
Question. Oh, you'd ask the question about oh, ask what it you, up front. Yeah, yeah, it's like okay. So make sure you get your pitch. Make sure you get mm-hmm. your um, your value proposition. Make sure that you get some key outcomes that you've had, your your achievements, and so on. The benefits that you've been able to deliver to the organisation out very quickly in the conversation, um, and make sure that they understand the role that you're looking for. We talked about being happy before, you know that, and we talked about how do we decide how do we get that out there. Red, amber, green. It. So you've you've got um, such situations where you've you've done extremely well in the past but you'd rather stick needles in your eyes and do it again so you know that's a red you know that's a no-go that's a stop an orange we all know that we have things in our jobs that we have to do we don't like but you're prepared to take them forward greens are your happy spot you know that's that's where you want to be make sure that you're communicating a lot of those and, and to where so give them what i call the cake to bake you know, the recipe for the cake debate. You're baking a certain cake, you've got a pantry or a larder full of ingredients, make sure you put the right ingredients on the on the table. If it's a chocolate cake, put the ingredients for a chocolate cake. That's your career. That's your career path. Make sure you get that out really early. And then you can ask the question, okay, so based on that and the value that I delivered to an organisation, if, for example, I wanted to work in the technology sector um, or hospitality sector or professional services sector, what do you think the salary would be give me a bandwidth I don't expect you to be on the money just give me a banding you know uh, 75 to 95 that sort of thing okay where do you think I would sit in that banding and so ask those questions remember that an interview is a two-way thing okay get the information out of them too so the first step is to get that that kind of for this role. What does it usually paint in this sector? Get the get the kind of bigger band, and then figure out where you sit within it. Absolutely, yeah. Would well, yeah. you ever call up another recruiter and say that, you, for example, maybe you're recruiting me at the moment, and I'm coming to you? Would you ever call up some other recruiters just to get a bit of a sense of where you might, what where they thought you sat in the market as well, to get a kind of consolidated view of it? I might do. Yeah, I might. I might use my own network to find out. You know what I'd be paying. I, I um, it, well, coming back to what I said before. I mean, a lot would sit um, or rest around the ability of my organisation to pay and the total picture. You know that I'd be providing. Uh, in terms of what it would be like to work in the organisation, what's in it for the individual, and so on. As I said before, it's not just about the money. Think think more strategically about getting those rungs on the ladder and how you're going to be able to use those rungs in a time frame that's provided. So, you know, you don't necessarily have to wait for 10 years to be in an organisation before you get the rungs on the ladder. Make sure that you've got your time frames sorted out as well. Okay? So we want to be and with what? Okay, within a certain time frame, and you'd have those conversations up front as well, yeah. so that so there's clear expectations about it. Oh yeah, but look, be brave. You know, it's like be respectful, be brave, be honest, be tactful, be you prepared know. to walk away. Yeah, and be prepared to walk away. Yeah, um, you know, I remember writing a blog about that years ago. You know, walk away, just walk away, uh, value yourself. You know, listen, learn, take it all in. But, yeah, be prepared to walk away, but um, make sure that you're being realistic um, as well. This is fantastic. Hey, one last question. You've talked a lot about value proposition. I mentioned it quite a few times um, on the show thus far. 
for, for those at home who, who may not have heard this term or may not completely understand it, how would you describe what um, or define what a value proposition is and how somebody would use it? Mm. A value proposition is uh, a or something that actually relates specifically to somebody else. Okay, and in terms of a, a need, it resonates. So, for example, my value proposition to you for coming on the show would have been that you would have been able to have content that resonated with your audience and was current uh, and had appeal. Okay, so learning that you you would have value created from that, that your audience would see value, as opposed to going into an organisation and saying, um, I've got this skill, this skill and this skill, without any context around that. So what is the value you are going to deliver? What are you leaving on the table at the end of the day? And I always say to people, when you go in for an interview, be prepared to leave some gold on the table, leave some ideas so even when they don't, if they don't hire you, it could be culture fit, could be whatever, um, they'll still remember you, okay? And they may recommend you to someone else. But the value proposition is something that has value to somebody else, not just yourself. It's kind of interesting because I think a lot of people would initially think that career advice should be about them you know about the um about what they've done and what they've what they've achieved and where they've worked more or less but it almost seems from this conversation that it's less about you but about the other person in terms of what do they want what are they thinking whether you're a manager or you're or you're a contributor um and then through the skills and and the attributes you have, how can you deliver that value for that other person in terms of how can I help them get what they want? Yeah, absolutely. So the um, what I would recommend people do is, look, just go online and Google solution selling. What is a solution sale? What is selling a solution all about? When we actually uh, apply for a role, what we're doing is we're responding to a request for a proposal to provide professional services to solve a problem. We're actually providing a solution to somebody else's problem. If we talk and write and communicate in that regard, then that other person is going to have um, a great deal more clarity around how I'm going to be able to add value to their organisation rather than always being about me. You know, what have I done in the past? Think forward. Okay, don't just cast backwards. Think about how you're going to solve problems for others moving forward. Craig, thank you so much for coming along today and, and talking about job search strategy and what young professionals can do within their careers and planning for their careers. Is there, is there any th- kind of one last tidbit that you want to leave with the audience today? Yeah, just think uh, what matters most um, to your target audience. Uh, think about yourself as marketers. Uh, if you were reading a brochure, what is about yourself and you were hiring yourself, what is it that you would want to read? Think about your audience, develop your content, all the conversations that you have uh, around subject matter that's going to interest them. Uh, Be interesting. Uh, Don't don't be too reflective um, on technical aspects. Um, You know, they get technology. They get the technical aspects of what you do if you're an accountant. Um, As I said about that lady that was uh, 55 or 65, whatever she was, if she just keeps on talking about the debit and credit columns, well, there's thousands of people out there that can do that. I want to know what value she's going to deliver. 
definitely. And if people want to track you down today, uh, track you down, not after you leave the podcast <laughs> yeah. studio. Gee, I'll turn the GPS off. Yeah. <laughs> find my mobile. Oh, I know. <laughs> um, but if people want to get in contact or, or find out more about what you do at mycareerbrand.net, how would they go about doing that? Yeah, visit um, www.mycareerbrand.net. Um, send me an email. All my contact details are on there. Um, connect with me on LinkedIn, uh, Craig McAlpine. You'll, you'll see me on there uh, in my career brand. Um, I'm always happy to have conversations with people, um, help them out, have an initial discussion uh, anyway. But, yeah, just get in touch. Fantastic. Look, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really do appreciate it. Yeah, you're most welcome, Ed. Thank you very much for the opportunity. The New Zealand Young Professionals Podcast, hosted by Ed McKnight and brought to you by Podcasts New Zealand.